from the creators of Relevant Magazine. This is the Relevant Podcast. January 24th, the year is 2020. You're listening to The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Huckabee. I'm here in Nashville, Tennessee, down there in Orlando, Florida, with his eye on the prize, making sure that we don't run off into a ditch. It's our illustrious <laughs> producer, Chandler Strang. Hello. And meanwhile, up there in Loveland, Virginia, trying to get us off to a ditch at every opportunity, it's our friend, Jesse Carey. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> and joining us once again on the Relevant Podcast, we're always pleased to welcome back our friend, and I don't even know where you're calling us from. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get a chance to ask ahead of time because you, you can be all over the world, but it is our friend, uh, anywhere is home to him, John Mark McCallum. <laughs> yes, hello. I'm in Charlotte. I'm at home in Charlotte right now, so... You're you're yeah. at home today. Okay, that that's good. Are you? Do you have any? Uh, are, are you? You're, you're probably staring down the barrel of a tour somewhat soon here. Yeah, right? The tour starts actually in April, so I've got a little bit of time. But we just finished the record, Gearing and up. normally I don't finish a record yeah. on time, so I have some time to kind of promote it and um, try and figure out, you know, how I'm going to get people to hear the songs and sell tickets to the tour and all that kind of fun stuff. So. I might work on some new music too. Oh, nice. Know. Well, for, for people that you announced, I believe you announced on this very podcast, uh, uh, it's been in several weeks now, maybe a month or so, that the album Peopled with with the, the, the past tense, <laughs> Peopled with yep. Dreams, drops on, on, on Valentine's Day, on February 14th. And you recently, since we last spoke, released a new single. Chandler, let's play a clip of the latest. And John Mark, uh, uh, Pilgrim is the latest single, right? Yep, it is. Chandler, let's fire up a clip of Pilgrim. I'm a pilgrim here on the side of the grave. Divide. I'm a pilgrim here, but I'll walk with you for a while. Also on the show today, we have the, oh, this is going to be good. The director of The Two Popes, Fernando Morales, is joining us. Uh, that movie got nominated for three thrice Academy Award nominated film, Two Popes. Uh, the director has joined us to talk a little bit about that movie. Now, J- now, John Mark, I got a question for you because when sure. you, and I understand, you, you know, you told us the intentionality of releasing on Valentine's Day. And, yeah. and I think it's a very cool thing. But I do have a question. Uh, sure. uh, your, your, your wife, Sarah, did she have, any issues with you releasing an album on Valentine's Day because I mean it seems like most couples have the expectation all right date night we're going out but this is mm. album release night so how's this going to shake out I can already I see curious. the tension brewing here <laughs> well I think because we have three kids it's hard to get a babysitter on Valentine's yeah. evening sure you know yeah so normally we don't do anything super special um, on Valentine's and it's it's one of those holidays where like the day is normal. You know what yeah, I mean? You might yeah. do something in the evening. So I normally check out, you know, by five, six o'clock anyway. So yeah. It wasn't a it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. yeah. So 
That did. So I'm uh, old. That's the. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but you will do some sort of. There will be a. There will be a card or, or some sort. Oh, yeah. of, you don't need to give away. I mean, I, if it's a surprise, oh, there will be romance. Oh, okay. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I, I, okay, that's all I, I was checking. All right, I do. Okay, I'm glad we're on the topic uh, because for for the the Valentine's Day candy conversation, I feel like let's mm-hmm. just have this right now because sure. I feel like there are two <laughs> lines of thought in this. And one is and, and everyone wrestles with this every year. And maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm the only one who's like actually conflicted about this. But it's like, do I go with the heart candy box? Because that's just what people do. Like it's the tradition, even though mm. that, you know, probably half are probably gross and not a candy you would eat otherwise. <laughs> like if it wasn't part of an assortment, I would not eat a piece of dark chocolate filled with some sort of minty paste. It's just not going to happen. I would never choose that. <laughs> but it's part of the box. It's part of the deal. You get a half gross ones. Or do you do the thing where you just get the heart box filled with like those Giardelli squares so you know you're going to like every one. But it doesn't really feel like Valentine's Day. It kind of feels like a cheat code what are your yeah. guys' thoughts on that because i run into this dilemma every year it's a tough one john rock i'll let you go first you you yeah. I, I feel you seem like, like a master you, of romance you seem like area. you seem like a romantic guy and i want to know what you think because <laughs> i don't know the answer totally no i kind of get it like the heart box and it's really expensive too yeah yeah so, so i i usually try and go with something else i don't know maybe a specialty shop Mm. You know, where you can sort of hand pick the candy, oh, yeah. you know, and honestly, we're, we're more at the like uh, quality is better than quantity yeah. kind of stage. So I'll go to like the chocolate store at the mall and hand pick like four items. And oh, wow. Hand wrap it. Is, is Charlotte you know? is Charlotte overrun with uh, with fine chocolatiers, with fine chocolatiers <laughs> and confectioners? Because I don't know if that's an option for uh, all of our listeners. <laughs> it's not overrun, but you can find it if you look for it. There's a couple of okay. bakeries in town, too. You can do yeah. something special if you if you look for it. Yeah. Well, I always get intimidated at any of those at any any kind of like artisan shop like that selling candy or anything. I'm just more I'm just gonna be honest with you guys. I'm just more comfortable at like a Walgreens because (laughs) I like I go into any of these and I feel like and this isn't to disparage any artisan you know, candy or baker candy makers or or bakers or whatever. I have tremendous amount of respect for the craft, but half the time I feel like I'm in an episode of Portlandia. Like I just can't take it all that seriously. Like someone who's like dedicated their adult life to, I mean, listen, I've dedicated my adult life to rambling on this podcast about most of the time, literally God knows what, um, like I I've shot any chance of ever wanting to do like, it's never an option to run for public office or anything at this point there's there's hundreds of hours of me saying ridiculous things but i i i when i when i'm in there i'm like most of your adult life was spent uh uh crafting artisan pickles i just i can't relate i cannot relate i don't mind it but you know i think the craft thing has gotten a little bit out of hand in the recent years you know like Mm -hmm. i draw the line at craft ketchup like (laughs) there's this brewery in town they make well you know there's a brewery because there's breweries everywhere Mm -hmm. they make great burgers yeah right but i just want regular ketchup like i don't want homemade ketchup like in my mind (laughs) ketchup is heinz right yeah Uh and like and Uh everything else is just a sauce and malcolm gladwell did a whole like like uh profile on ketchup a few years ago, yeah. you know, and he talked to like professional, like tasters and the people who work in the food industry, you know, and, 
And the reason like craft ketchups, like you go to the store and you can only basically get like one ketchup or maybe like sugar-free or unsalted. Sure. Or something, Heinz right? and That's it. Yeah. Whatever there's does. a bazillion yeah. mustards. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. because scientifically Heinz ketchup is perfect. <laughs> it's the perfect palate. So anything you do to it makes it a sauce. Yeah. And some places yeah. won't hear that. They bring out their stupid craft ketchup. I'm like, fine, call it barbecue sauce. I was like, but it's not ketchup. Yeah. You know, I, I do think there are some things are perfect and you don't, they don't need to be fixed. So if you yeah. see, you know, so if you're in a, if you're true. in a burger place and you see something like uh, our, our handcrafted local uh, tomato areoli or it, you're like, I'm not, you're not interested in that. Well, well that might have mayonnaise in it and I like anything with oh, Okay, I see. But yeah, but if it's like, no, as long as you don't call it ketchup, if you try to call it ketchup and you say it's house made, I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. House made ketchup is sauce. <laughs> Just call it sauce. <laughs> Just call it, yeah. Yeah, gross second rate tomato sauce. It's dollar store. <laughs> it's like dollar store detergent. Something's just off. Something's off. They smell clean. They slow smell yes. clean, but something's off about them. Like I can. My t- point is, you can you can overcraft things. Things can be overcrafted. Yeah, I, dude, I'm so glad you said that. And that's my that's my excuse for never attempting a DIY project because I'm like, listen, yes, I could tile the backsplash. Like I could watch. YouTube video and I could take all the time and do my own fancy designs. But what makes me think I'm going to do it better than this guy I hired on Craigslist, this unlicensed contractor who I'm paying $30 an hour to do it. Like like P- DIY people, I'm like, what makes you think you're better at, 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 at this project at your home than someone who does this all day long? It's it, 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 just... The whole... The, 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 I, I'm with you. Like the DIY, like the artisan... I respect it, but I want no part of it myself. Like I, I'm under no delusions here. I think the correction has kind of begun. I, I feel like the there's been because I think it was like peak 2013 or 14 was maybe peak. You couldn't buy anything. You couldn't buy a dog collar without having somebody with a fancy mustache, and it looked mm-hmm. like they'd walked out of the the set of Gangs of New York selling it to you, saying they <laughs> you know that he'd made it. That it took him two years to put it together each piece of yeah. time. And I think we're the swing back has already begun. And by the time that Zoomers become a, a purchasing demographic. It, it's going to be back to like Walmart and Target is where it's all going to. I think well, you know, society is going to. And I got no, and I got no beef with that. I got it's efficient. It's easy. Like I went over one day to a neighbor's house to borrow a piece of lawn equipment or something, and I go into their garage and they have those big white like twenty gallon buckets, right? You know the kind I'm talking about. Yeah. The ones that yep. always have a warning on the side about not to put babies in them. It's like yep. which is the most <laughs> odd warning ever. Like who who bought the bucket and be like, well, this would be great for transporting the baby. Baby. And they're like, oh, what's this? It explicitly says not to put babies in here. Like, when, why was babies in a bucket something that even needed to be addressed on every bucket that's ever made? Like, why not t- other, like, just odd warnings of things not to do with the bucket? They seem very, very intent to make sure that if you purchase those white buckets, you're not putting babies in there. But anyway, he's got a garage filled with them and he's got like tubes and stuff and timers and, you know, all this. Stuff. I'm like, what is going on in here? It's like, Walt White's garage. 
and he was getting into craft brewing. And I'm like, this looks like an insane amount of work, mm-hmm. especially like you've got these buckets and hoses going everywhere. What makes you think that you can do it better than someone who does it professionally and is using actual equipment, not buckets? You know, like <laughs> the, the, the craft brewing thing, too. It's like what gives people the nerve to think that they can do it better than someone who makes it professionally? <laughs> you know, I know I have this theory that breweries are like coffee shops were in the 90s. You know, yeah. how in the 90s, like everyone had a coffee shop. They were everywhere, you know, and now there's like Starbucks and then maybe your local like third wave thing. Yeah. But not like it was in the 90s. Like yeah. every person had a coffee shop. You know, and now it's like breweries. Every <laughs> there's a brewery on every uh-huh. corner. There's not, you know, and I always see new breweries coming in. I'm like, how can this city support it, so it's many breweries? <laughs> if it hasn't already, been, I think it's already on the decline. I yeah. think we're gonna like. I think the the brewery slash craft cocktail thing is already reached its yeah. maximum capacity, and now it's gonna be something. Yeah. I don't know what the next thing is gonna be. I'm trying to figure it out. What's gonna be the next yeah. wave of of a. Uh, <laughs> Of I don't know be- beverage probably beverage it isn't not necessarily but I feel like it's probably going to be some sort of other drink situation like fancy sodas yeah. or something I don't know what it's going to if I if if I knew I'd be doing it I wouldn't be here podcasting yeah I'd be I've already lost I've I've already lost a fortune on the flavored vape wave so last thing I need is to dive head first in another one of these trends I got the FDA shutting down my my jam. <laughs> Well, we uh, I got I got buckets. I got buckets of cotton candy, jelly bean e-juice in the garage. If anyone's looking at it, it's, it's unmovable right now. You know, uh, we got a lot to get to today. We're going to take a quick break before we do. When we come back doing the hot list. She didn't ask. She just opened a cold can and set it down in front of me. I said thanks and thought about how Judy used to come here with me. You're listening to Neon Skyline by Andy Schaff. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Baby by Four Tet. Maybe, maybe some sort of artisanal baby plate. Like, not they don't make the babies artisanally, but the like, you know what I mean? The like stuff for artisanal, babies. artisanal baby <laughs> buckets, like a bucket you can uh, you can actually comfortably transport a baby. Yeah, <laughs> I've never understood that. Who is this warning for? Who's putting the baby? There's a story. (laughs) That's the thing. You don't want to know. Because if you see a warning there, that means it was the result of the lawsuit. And there is a story. (laughs) Right. There is a story. If you see a sign, that means it's happened once. At least once. If you see a sign, that means somebody's done it once. (laughs) Some sort of class action lawsuit. And then the result was we have to put this picture on every single thing we make saying. On every single body. Yeah. Yeah. This one, this one guy showed up to the, you know, the nursery. He's like, "Here's the baby." Just dumped him right out, and yeah, that was it for everybody. Now all buckets <laughs> now have this all morbid warning. Yeah. Uh, all right, it's time for our weekly look back at our favorite stories at the intersection of faith and culture of the week. It's time for. It's Number five this week of monsters and men. 
reinvented Post Malone's circles with a very emo-inspired cover. This is a blast from the past across the board here. So indie rock outfit, you remember these guys of Monsters and Men. They recently performed for the YouTube series Like a Version, which has, uh, where bands come in and cover other songs. Like most great covers, this version of Circles reimagines the song entirely, turning Post's pop vibes into an old-school emo-inspired heartbreaker. Here is a clip. thinking today i was thinking about this a little bit speaking of the the emo genre and we have uh we have jesse you were sort of you were knee deep in the emo world back in the day yeah john mark i don't know were you a were you was was emo ever your scene were you a scenester i was a bit of a scenester yeah a little bit okay okay who who do you think is like this generation's dashboard confessional type or what is it is it is it post um Post, I don't know, Billie Eilish. Uh, Billie feels yeah, like she's Billie feels pretty emo. Like she's she's huge, but she yeah. is of that. She, but she's not like Taylor Swift. No, no. I mean, well, she reminds me so much of like, um, I mean, at least the videos and things. She looks so sad and angry all the time. It's like this is yeah. pretty dang emo. Well, the, but it's the definitely yeah, not real. A hand basket, man. It's a- <laughs> <laughs> well, it is when you're that age. You know what I mean? <laughs> For sure. Yeah, yeah, everything's a huge deal. Everything's yeah. a big deal. I don't know. That's a good question. Hey, well, John Mark, let me ask you. I, I have a question for you too about philosophy when it comes to covers. All right. Like this cover is is you know of Monsters Men doing a totally different kind of take on the post song. Which, by the way, I feel like a lot of it, it, I, I'm sort of a post Malone apologist, you know, um, because I know he's a polarizing artist. But I think a lot of his songs break down really nicely. Like just like the song is good, even if you don't like the style of it. But when it comes to covers. Are you a fan of covers that totally reinvent a, a song, like almost to the point where it's unrecognizable? Or if you're doing if you're doing a cover, do you do you try to keep it more of a straightforward like homage to the original? I think you either need one, you either need to do. I, I want to say maybe a better version, not better, but like let's say like if I'm going to cover Adele, I'm not going to try and out sing Adele. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah. let's say you're just an awesome singer. You know, you, you don't want to like try to <laughs> do someone's song who is so much better than you, unless you're going to go in the opposite direction. Right. So yeah. I think if there's someone similar to you as an artist, you can cover them as an homage, but also that gets kind of expected. I really like the unexpected covers. Like when yeah. you cover mm-hmm. someone, nobody expected you to cover. I think that's more interesting. It's such a it's such yeah, an art for form sure. to pull yeah. out. Uh, like, wait, he covered her or something exactly. like that. It's such a it's a. I remember when I was at a White Stripes show. This was a long time ago. Uh, I mean, it was White Stripes, um, and they pulled out. They busted out a cover of of Jolene by Dolly, and just mm-hmm. nobody. You know, it's just like oh, it was so yeah. out of left field, but it was yep. so good and so yep. cool and so raw. And uh, and that's what I'm I'm looking for that energy from my covers. Mm-hmm. Like, where yeah. did they even see the possibility there? And then if you stick the landing, just cherry on the cake. Exactly. There's another, there's a cover from a few years ago. Do you, uh, John Mark, do you know Dustin Kintrew at all? Yeah. He's a friend of mine. 
he did a cover of Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball. And that's amazing. That's a perfect example. That's a good example. Yeah. 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 Because you really realize when he sings it. And, and of course, you, you know, people that know his music or know Thrice, you know, he he excels at that kind of like guttural real kind of raw emotion Mm -hmm. when he wants to unleash it and you realize what a powerful song that song is even though it's sort of in that you know when 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 miley does it it's sort of in this pop package i feel the same way about a lot of post songs they're 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 wrapped in this uh, you know, these kind of modern pop sensibilities. But when you get to the core, they're like, oh, this is actually just like a pretty good, emotional, angsty song. So, yeah, that, yeah. that was a good cover uh, from Monsters and Men. I remember, I remember being, this was probably in college too. I was at a dashboard show. Uh, not dashboard. <laughs> I was not going to dashboard shows in college. It's okay. I was at a <laughs> There's no shame, dude. A There's no shame. Show. Don't act all. Don't act all judgy. <laughs> I was at a death cab show. More college, right. a slightly more college appropriate. A death cab show, and uh, they busted out a cover of of Avril Lavigne's uh, "Complicated." And I think what they were trying to do was really noble, but nobody could take it seriously because it was just so out of left field. It was almost too. It was almost yeah, too successful a version of what we're talking about yeah. because yeah. it mm-hmm. didn't. I don't feel like that song lends itself to. It didn't not yeah. work, but people yeah. were laughing the entire time. So it was, it, yeah. was, it just wasn't, <laughs> maybe it was a. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that song has great bones. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. You, exactly. You can change clothes, but <laughs> that one's not <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's not like Wrecking Ball, which even the first time I heard it, I th- I was like, okay, that's a great song. Yeah. It's a, it's I don't a good care what song. you say about the uh-huh. artist. That's it's a great song. Right, right, yeah. right. But right. yeah, the other one, Avril, and she's cool, but you nothing, know, I don't think that song. <laughs> I don't want, yeah. I don't want to stick the Avril hive on us or anything. We're, we're not, <laughs> just Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy world did, it wasn't that long ago. And I played it on like Conan or something. I guess it's been a few years, but it was their version of Taylor Swift. We will never get back together. Oh yeah. We will yeah. never. Have, but the, the greatest thing about that is like it did. It let Jimmy world do what Jimmy world does best, which is like into chorus with the whole band, just hitting this massive drop D like never, ever getting back together. And it's just that like resonant, you know, emo 90s guitar. You're like, okay, that song works that because Taylor Swift is basically writing dashboard confessional songs, but singing them like that's that's true. That's true. Um, All right. Coming to number four this week, Aaron Rodgers opened up about his conflicted history with faith. So this was kind of interesting. The Green Bay Packers QB was recently on Danica Patrick's podcast. I didn't know Danica Patrick had a podcast. And he opened up about his ideas around religion. As he explains in the clip, Rogers was once heavily involved in the Christian ministry, young life, but later started to question some fundamental teachings, including the idea of eternal punishment. Here's a clip. Religion can be a crutch, can be a um, can be something that people have to have to make themselves feel better. And because it's set a binary, it's us and them. It's saved and unsaved it's heaven and hell it's enlightened and heathen it's holy and righteous and sinner and filthy and that makes i think that makes a lot of people feel better about themselves is it oh you know i have you know i got jesus and you know i'm saved and i'm going to heaven and there's only 144,000 of us going even though there's seven billion people on the planet uh, and, you know, I don't know how you can believe in a God who wants to 
condemn most of the planet, you know, to a fiery hell. Like what type of loving, sensitive, omnipresent, omnipotent being wants to condemn most of his beautiful creation to a fiery hell at the end of all this? So a portion of that clip was shared by a, a Twitter account called The Caring Atheist. And from there, it ended up on the front page of Reddit. However, it's really not clear if Rogers himself considers himself to be an atheist. In a 2017 ESPN, the magazine profile, he spoke about his friendship with Rob Bell and his evolving views on scripture. He said, and this is a quote here, the Bible opens with a poem. It's a beautiful piece of work, but it was never meant to be interpreted as I think some churches do. Though he said he no longer considers himself a Christian, it's unclear if he's an atheist. And in the interview with Patrick, he talks about spirituality. Rob Bell, obviously, is a preacher, author, Bible teacher, and former megachurch pastor whose book Love Wins famously questioned traditional teachings on hell. Rogers actually endorsed Rob's 2017 book, How to Be Here, saying, listing all the ways in which Rob has positively impacted my life would take up too much space. So I'll simply say that he's inspired me to live life with a deeper appreciation, sorry, a deeper level of appreciation and to love people with greater awareness of our connectivity. So this, this was really interesting and it is interesting to see how, and this happens a lot, I think, in social media conversations, any sort of questioning of traditional or even fundamentalist Christian teaching is immediately grouped in with heresy or in this case, atheism. Atheism. Yeah. Well, and I kind of, my, I kind of a hot take on this one because I watched the, the whole kind of conversation he had with Danica Patrick about religion and, you know, particularly some of his issues with Christian teachings about hell and salvation and some of the, you know, some of his, uh, you know, conflicted ideas about that. And, you know, we're coming up where, you know, this weekend's the Pro Bowl. Next weekend is the Super Bowl, of course. And, you know, the the week between the two is media week. Right. And so the media gets a lot of access to the players who are playing in the Super Bowl. And one thing that's sort of become a tradition is for a lot of like faith based outlets uh, that get credentialed for the Super Bowl to go and do interviews with the athletes on both teams who are Christians and ask them about their faith. And I think, l look, I think those testimonies are fantastic. I think it's great when people with the platform uh, uh, affirm their gratitude for the things that they've been given from God and, and, and talk openly about their faith. But I also think there's real value in conversations like this simply because even if like some of the things Aaron Rodgers says here may rub Christians the wrong way or, or not necessarily affirm traditional Orthodox views, I feel like it's good to show you can still express doubts you can still express conflicted feelings in a conversation and in an open dialogue and feel safe about it because i feel like we're coming out of a time where a lot of people just never expressed they might have thought the things that aaron Rodgers is articulating here but they never felt like they were safe to express it so i think it's almost a positive thing that at least he feels like he can go on and say listen I, I went to Young Life growing up. and I loved it. It meant a lot to me. The teachings of Christ meant a lot. But I don't know if I consider myself a Christian anymore because I have these ideas. At least he's able to talk about it. At least he's able to have the conversation because I feel like it's more destructive when people have to keep this in. Uh, you, you, John Mark, what's your take on, you know, kind of Rogers expressing these conflicted ideas about how he grew up? Man, I think people need to be free to grow. 
You know, mm-hmm. like we tend to think like, uh, or say we, but I, I feel like we tend to take people for where they are in the moment and be like, this is who you are, you know? But, yeah. uh, but also like if you grow up in the faith and I don't want to push anyone off a cliff here. Cause I definitely consider myself a Christian. Like I, I like being a Christian, you know, I'm not yeah. conflicted <laughs> about being a Christian, but over the years, that definition has changed for me a little bit, you know? Yeah. And where like I've realized my Christianity is rooted um, in practice a lot, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I guess what I'm saying is like the way I think about the faith changes a lot. Like it comes and goes, you know, but yeah. my practices are where I try and root myself, loving my neighbor. You know what I mean? Yeah. The yeah. practices of the faith. So like I, I realized a while back, like if you're born in a Christian home and I got to be careful here because I don't really, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to push anyone over a ledge, but I realized that a point is like, I didn't choose Christianity. Christianity chose me. And so yeah. there's a point where if you don't consider the other options, have you actually chosen your path? You know? Hmm. And so people like I had a point hmm. in my life when I had to get, walk through all of those questions about what I believed, you know, and I came out different on the other side, yeah. you know, but yeah. I realized like I didn't, that I was, it was someone else's faith that I had before that. You know, so yeah. people need the opportunity to have their own faith. And if they just profess the things they've heard their entire lives and never give themselves opportunity to actually consider um, what what they believe, you know, then 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 what then are you a believer? I mean, does that make sense? Yeah. Does it sound ridiculous? No, I think we talk about, I think we like to use language like spiritual journey, but we in practice don't really encourage a journey. We want you to stay in the same place for most of your life, especially if you grew up in certain, uh, in certain circles that the idea of, of actually moving forward or changing and, and maybe, maybe the journey is a circle for some people. Maybe it's a, it's a squiggly line. I mean, who knows, you know, that can look a lot, very different for a lot of people. But this thing where we, where, where there's a lot of criticism, anytime somebody moves or changes or grows or develops, seems very contrary to the just the human mm-hmm. experience, which is which is extremely. Uh, there's yeah. no there's no growth plan for how people's minds yeah. and spirits operate. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it's fear and tribalism. It's like, oh, you're leaving mm-hmm. the club. All right. Well, yeah. we don't want you to. We don't like it when you leave the club. Yeah. You know, but it has a lot less to do with actual spirituality, actual Christianity in my mind, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I agree. People aren't really getting angry about the, his faith. They're getting angry about the fact that he's saying he's not part of their club anymore, or they view him as not part of their club and they don't like it, you know? And I get that, you know, but I don't think it's the same thing. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like that's especially a problem. Well, maybe not, but I, maybe it's just because of, of who I follow, but I feel like, particularly in the world of like sports celebrities, that club is really important. Mm -hmm. Like it seems like, and I feel like more so than people in culture, because like, like let's say someone's a writer or an artist or a a celebrity or an actor, they're expected to take nuanced approach to things. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that's kind of the nature of, of modern celebrity is their communicators, whether they communicate through art or, or, or music or social media, but you know, an athlete they're known through performance, right. Mm -hmm. And, And, and people want to view 
those types of celebrities uh, through the lens of uh, very singular dimensions. And it's, you know, it's, it, you know, whenever there's like sort of like a new Tebow and there's nothing against Tebow. I, I, I'm, I think he's a great dude or whatever, but someone who is that kind of athlete celebrity who wears their faith on their sleeves in a certain sort of outspoken way, it does get very tribalistic. And mm-hmm. for to have someone like an Aaron Rodgers express these real conflicted ideas it, it, it really puts a spotlight on, I think, mm-hmm. that aspect, John Mark, of like, well, you're either with us for for against us or else. Look, now the atheists are claiming you. What's going on here? Yeah. And it's like, maybe we should just give a little grace here. Yeah. Like, may, maybe maybe let, let that, that human like how much do we trust God? Do we trust God enough that his grace will abound that eventually, you know, uh, the, that <clears throat> he won't let someone stray too far or you know, are, are we willing to pray for conviction of the Holy Spirit? Like, there's just a lot that goes into this, but I do think the tribalism thing is is a really interesting and kind of concerning yeah. um, aspect of it. Yeah. You know? Well, a guy yeah. like him isn't just part of the club. Like, he's viewed as, like, top tier. A team right? leader. Yeah. 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 You know, he's a yeah. team leader, so all of a sudden, like, uh, you're like, oh, we got this guy. This guy's ours. And then when he's not, it's like, you know, offensive and hurtful to people in ways they probably don't understand because they've given so much of themselves to professional sports and to these people that they may not realize um, are sort of their leaders, you know. Or legitimizers, (laughs) right? Like it makes you feel feel legitimate because you have somebody in the public eye who's also on your team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. well, because like it, because at the end of the day, like I it, I think too we assign more um, uh, like credibility to yeah, an athlete, even though like look, Aaron Rodgers is is a dude in his mid thirties. Okay, yeah, he happens to play for football for his living, but how many thirty you know five year olds or thirty six year olds do you know that if you were to sit down with them and be like, hey, what are your questions about faith? They would probably oh talk gosh. in a similar way to as he is. You know, he yeah, just happens totally. to be Aaron Rodgers. You know, yeah. Like, hey, what? How does the universe work exactly? When we die, Aaron Rodgers. I know you're a great football <laughs> player. Can you tell me wrong. about the fabric of space, time, and the universe, and what happens for eternity? You know, poor guy. <laughs> hey, Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, you were you went to the NFC Championship this game this year. Why don't you tell us how a loving God allows bad things to happen to good people? Go, like I said, yeah. you can clearly compete complete a 50 yard pass why can't you answer this simple question <laughs> just, just me in the back of the post game interview with him just be like yeah Mr. Rogers Tyler Huckabee Relevant Magazine here I have a couple questions it's really not fair and being in, in I don't want to say I'm in his situation at all but being in a little bit of a public type of situation like people ask you all those questions I'm like I write songs like how am yeah, I supposed yeah. to know yeah. oh you know like you like my songs that doesn't mean I know <laughs> the way the universe <laughs> operates. <Yeah. laughs> so people will oh, ask you those questions. Yeah. Well, speaking of not, not changing lanes a, a ton here with this next one. Number three this week, uh, Timbaland opens up about how God saved him from addiction. Okay. So Timbaland, uh, his real name is Tim Mosley. He's he, I said this on the daily yesterday. If there's a Mount Rushmore of American pop producers, Timbaland's 
probably on it. He's worked with Tupac, Aaliyah, Missy Elliott, Snoop Dogg, Janet Jackson, Jay-Z, Beck, Drake, Alicia Keys, Coldplay, Jamie Foxx, Jennifer Hudson, Kanye, Madonna, Pharrell, Chris Cornell, Justin Timberlake. And we could go on. Uh, he most recently collaborated with King and Country and Echo Smith for that remix of God Only Knows. Um, so he recently opened up to men's health about how God helped save his life. Uh, he explained how after a root canal and an old injury flared up, he developed an addiction to strong prescription painkillers. And he soon began to use these to deal with stress in his personal life. He said, it put me in a great feeling of not caring, of just being free. I'm like traveling, doing shows, popping, I'm having fun, just being ignorant. However, one night after his health began to decline, he says he had a dream that caused him to seek God's help. He said, I had a dream that death was near. I saw myself with a white face. So he, his pastor is T.D. Jakes. Uh, he talked to him and said, this was the path chosen for me. God was rebuilding my character. He said that with God's help and the help of his family, he was able to wean himself off the pills. So he said, it was one of the toughest things I've been through. The only thing that got me through it were my kids, my girl, the help of God, keeping my mind still. Uh, now he's dedicated himself to living healthy. Then he has a new reliance on faith. He says, God has me under construction, which I'm still under. I don't feel like I'm complete and I don't ever want to feel like I'm complete because my mind would probably get idle. God needed me to be clear so I could see what is needed, not what I want. Um, so that was an interesting. That's not something I would have expected from what I know of Timbaland's public life. Yeah. And, and and I like what he says there. And I mentioned this to you on daily. I, I feel like this is refreshing too, because again, you know, kind of going back to John Mark, you're kind of like the, the tribalism analogy, someone like Timbaland, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people associate with someone who's, you know, going to be out there talking about faith and particularly God's power to help transform someone, especially someone dealing with like a problem as severe as painkiller addiction. Um, but for him to kind of say, I'm under construction still. I'm not complete. I don't ever want to feel complete. I don't feel like is like the church answer, you know, where, you know, someone who might be a more seasoned Christian be like, yeah, God delivered me from that. I'm healed. I'm better. I'm out on the other side where I like Timberland's approach of like, hey, I'm still this is a work in progress here. Like I might I might be out from under, you know, this this certain challenge. But, you know, God is still working on me. I thought that was a really fascinating, encouraging interview, especially given his massive platform. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for digging that one up, Jesse, too. That was a find on your part. And, and uh, yeah. that's a really interesting. It's a super interesting story. Uh, and where, where, John Mark, where would you put Timbaland on sort of that range of modern music producers in terms of his like influence still? He's definitely I, I don't know what his current influence, you know, I, mm -hmm. I don't know how to gauge his current influence because I'm not really sure what he's worked on the past few years. But yeah, over the past like 10, 15, 20 years, he's worked with the greatest, yeah. you know, and some of my favorite records were produced by him. And super innovative, too, in his approach to making music. And I've seen some of his masterclass stuff. Um, oh, some, yeah. I mean, he's like, he's definitely like on the top. And I feel like if he wanted to be, he could be on the top again, if he's not already with whoever he's working with. Yeah. That's the interesting thing about producers is you don't always know. Sometimes you hear a song and I'd be like, I think that was, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. Pharrell. Yeah. I think that was Timlin. But you don't, you know, you don't really always know because... You don't have liner notes, you know, on the... They don't use like a producer tag like people do now. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Timberland. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I promise I made this. It's me. Yeah. It's me. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, don't forget. Yeah. Just yell my name at some point. At yeah. any point. Make sure to yell my name. I need you to yell my name. <laughs> I think that's why. I think that really of, of all the people. I mean, he he built a lot of careers, but Justin Timberlake especially owes Timberland a debt because mm-hmm. nobody took nobody was going to take Justin seriously coming out of NSYNC and Timbaland legitimized Timbaland gave him oh, the, yeah. the, the I, I don't think Future Sex loves it would have gone over with any sort of the influence that it had if it hadn't if he hadn't gotten Timbaland on board no those records are Timbaland records mm-hmm. like yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. I've even seen Timbaland out on tour with Justin Timberlake oh wow like he actually, Justin for one tour actually brought Timbaland out did, so you took did you actually take his master class I haven't taken the master class. I've previewed it. Oh, okay. But I'm going to, because okay. it's like, yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of content on the master class. It's hard to get to it all, <laughs> yeah. but it's good. I, and, and, and they have like, I don't know. This is a side conversation. I always wonder what master classes, how their business model shakes out. Cause how, how much are you, they're getting like Timberland and like Martin Scorsese and like the biggest names, you know, Aaron Sworkin on, on screenwriting. It's insane. Anna Winter is on it. Like, it's crazy the level of people they, they, they pull bring in to the some table. They pull in, I mean, the best of the best is what they say. It's a master yeah. class. It, it's, yeah, I will be. I will be doing one on home brewing with giant <laughs> buckets in your garage. <laughs> very unsanitary. Very off the grid. It'll be my own. You have to go to your own dark website to find it uh, and pay me in cryptocurrency, and I will tell you how to how to. Stir those vats. <laughs> okay, this is a this is a spicy one. Coming to number two this week, Hank Azaria will no longer voice Apu on The Simpsons. So, uh, actor Hank Azaria told Slash Film he will no longer be voicing the controversial character Apu on The Simpsons. Azaria is wiped. And he uses an exaggerated accent as a poo who is Indian on The Simpsons. Azaria told the outlet, we all made the decision together. We all agreed on it. We all feel like it's the right thing and feel good about it. So Hank Azaria voices several of the series character. It's not really clear if a poo is going to continue to appear on the show or if Azaria is just going to, to stop voicing him. His work came under scrutiny following the release of the film, The Problem with a Poo from comedian Hari Kondabalu, which examined the problematic nature of pop culture stereotypes. On Twitter, Kondabalu discussed the move and says that he hopes that Apu will continue to appear on the show. He said, if Hank Azaria is indeed no longer doing the voice of Apu, I do hope they keep the character and let a very talented writing staff do something interesting with him, if not to better the show, then to at least spare me some death threats. <laughs> My documentary, The Problem with Apu, was not made to get get rid of a dated cartoon character, but to discuss race representation and my community, which I love very much. It was also about how you can love something like the Simpsons and still be critical about aspects of it like a poo. So that was a, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think nobody's arguing that this move wasn't long overdue, right? Like yeah. the, this, this need, this needed to happen years ago. If it ever should have happened at all. I thought it happened yeah. like two years ago when this like was a, Topic of conversation. Do y'all remember? Y'all talked it, about it a while back. But it didn't yeah. happen. There were there yeah, were huge calls for it. The Simpsons doubled down, said we're yeah. not changing. That's and, that's wild. And, but and that's to me, honestly, one of the most interesting aspects of this is the way that uh, this sort of dialogue around what is like an interesting 
um, kind of, uh, uh, you know, like how an institution like the Simpsons could evolve in such a way where they could still be doing something that problematic that everyone just kind of ignores. And then a film comes along and, and offer, and it's not, it's not, it's not like outrage cancel culture in this case. It's a, it's kind of a thoughtful documentary by a comedian who's thought about this issue a lot and really wrestles with the, uh, the, the nature of it and, and challenges the Simpsons to do better in response. Yeah. It took the Simpsons a while, but at least they're taking time to formulate a response that isn't defensive it's one of okay maybe it is time to change and evolve i think that's kind of one of the interesting aspects of this like there certainly is toxic fan culture and you oh know the simpsons are are not immune from that and i think uh what what the the harry the comedian uh expressed there of getting death threats from simpsons fans is horrible and i think the, but the great thing, the way that this dialogue largely transpired was between someone who was like a thoughtful cultural critic engaging the idea with the documentary and the Simpsons production team, which has now decided to make this move. And honestly, kind of both parties doing their best to stay above the fray of that toxic fan culture, which honestly gets offended by anything. And, and that's not just with the Simpsons. I mean, you see it with, you know, Marvel and Disney and Star Wars. You know, that's really the toxic element of this. I think allowing artists to evolve when times evolve is a positive thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that what he said here in response to this, too, because because the easy move for The Simpsons, or I guess the easiest response would be, okay, uh, no Apu anymore on The Simpsons. And I hope that's not the case because people want representation. People want to see uh, diversity in their pop culture materials. You just got to do the extra work, which isn't even that much extra work, but it doesn't happen very often of making sure that those things are, are handled respectfully and that those, those people and cultures are handled by people who actually represent them. And that is not, yeah. Simpsons is not unique in not doing that. Um, yeah. for a long time. And I hope that they listened to what Ari was actually saying here instead of just uh, because he wasn't trying to get it canceled. He was asking it to be better. And there is a difference. Yeah. And I think those two are often conflated. Yeah. John Mark, yeah, a lot of uh, Christians grew up in either pro or anti Simpsons homes. Were you were you permitted <laughs> to watch that heathen show? I was not. I was not originally permitted to yeah, watch same. the Simpsons, but like many things we pushed through and we yeah. prevailed. <laughs> <laughs> push, I think my through. parents issue with the Simpsons, which is really interesting because the Simpsons make fun of everything. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like n- no one is sort of um, safe from, yeah, the, it's not quite South Park, you know what I mean? But at yeah. the same time, and my parents hated how they made, you know, <laughs> Christians look stupid, you know, <laughs> and they made the dad, the father of the family look stupid. And I was like, they make everyone look stupid, but, yeah. <laughs> Going back to the Abu thing though, um, I also was like one of like a million white kids going to school. And I had friends who were, you know, Asian and Indian. They didn't have other kids who looked like them. So, you know, like they were singled out at school, yeah. you know, so it was different. Like in one sense, I think like, well, they make fun of everyone. Like let's let's make fun of everyone together. But at the same time, some people are having a more difficult time uh than others, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. You know, and, and, and I don't know, but yeah, my, but my parents felt similarly. They didn't like the Simpsons because they thought Christians were misrepresented in the Simpsons. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that's interesting to me because 
I always felt like, um, I, I, I mean, maybe on the surface, there were certain episodes that really lampooned, uh, parts of Christian culture. But when you look at, I feel like if you watch the show objectively, especially over a few years and few seasons, I actually feel like they're pretty kind to Christian. I actually feel like Christians <laughs> frequently, they frequently come out looking it's pretty, like when you look at like Ned Flanders, who obviously, you know, the joke is he's this big dork, but he's, he's honestly throughout the series. The, the things that makes the thing that makes Flanders Flanders is his faith is his outspoken devotion to Christianity, right? Like, you know, he's the perfect name. He's the joke is he's too perfect and too nice because. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. of his faith but every time you watch him he always comes out of like homer's always the big dumb jerk and flanders <laughs> is always the great guy you yeah, know yeah. like totally. i feel like he is the, you could make a hot you could do a hot take of the the most um like flattering depictions of christianity in, in in television and i would make the case that ned flanders could go on the top of that list because <laughs> he's an honorable good dude that yeah he's a little annoying but like he's 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 very an admirable character huck who do you think is the best the best fictional representation of a christian oh, on, on tv that's an interesting question i don't well I, I think i have an answer and it's going to be a very tyler answer I think that the Ned Flanders uh, criticism came from that like era of '90s man Christianity, where they wanted their depictions to be like William Wallace and yeah. and, and Maximus and Gladiator. Like it, it wasn't yeah. enough to be nice, because there was like there was even criticism that Mister Rogers was too nice and was giving Christians a bad name because he was so kind, which is the dumbest critique you could level at somebody like we're mad because our representation in culture is that everybody just thinks we're nice guys. Christians have really fixed that representation in the past couple of years here. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe an overcorrection <laughs> on that. <laughs> um, but, but Jesse, you know, I, I, I do love the faith conversations that they had on that Netflix daredevil show, the, yeah. the Marvel series where he was portrayed as a Catholic and really a very bad Catholic, but they were very open about uh, him being uh, a bad Catholic. And uh, I, I live for the scenes with him dragging his body in after fighting off like magic ninjas or whatever to talk to a priest about his own doubts about hell or, or why he doesn't, why, why he feels like God has forgotten him. That's been my, I don't know about best of all time, but my favorite and most uh, theologically rewarding in recent in recent years uh, conversations about about God from a Christian perspective came from that show. Yeah, I, that that's it. That's that's interesting because I feel like the juxtaposition between like Angela from The Office, especially early season Angela, where she's oh, yeah. looked at as like the the the, the mean Christian prude. Obviously, mm -hmm. her character on The Office developed a lot over time, and she became. You could see there's a lot more uh, under the surface of what's making her tick <laughs> than just being uh, like a you know an old Christian prude. But the juxtaposition between someone like her and like a Flanders or the Daredevil character, I feel like is pretty great. Because 
because it shows like, oh, on one hand, yeah, it is it is easy to lampoon kind of just these, uh, you know, legalistic prudes. But it's another thing to look at, like someone who is genuinely trying to live for faith. It might annoy some people, but ultimately they're good people. John Mark, can you think of any uh, positive or interesting represent- representations of Christians like in a fictionalized setting that has been, you know, somewhat positive? Yeah, I actually, and and this is like not nearly as cool as Daredevil, but um, the husband in Madam Secretary, what is his name mm. on the show? But I couldn't tell. I you. don't know that. But I, I don't a, watch it. He, I don't watch it. I man, my wife and I really liked it for a while. I think it, yeah. it, at a point it got a little too teachy. Like okay, <laughs> you know, a little like too like educational. Government lessons, yeah, yeah, yeah a little yeah. too <laughs> educational. But but as a whole, we really enjoyed it, and I liked him. He's a theology teacher. And he's a real person. He deals with his, you know, life and um, they talk about faith and um, I, and and then like, I was like, oh, this is rare that the, they're making um, the Christian guy a little bit of a hero here. I was like, this is really interesting. I I always liked him. This is interesting. We should, we should ask, we should toss this one to readers. I would have interested to hear other people's take. Cause I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of more as I'm, as I'm weighing it. Jesse, do you have one? Is Flanders your pick? If Flanders is probably my pick, I want I and I I was never like a seventh heaven person, but I but I always heard that they had uh, decent depictions of kind of thoughtful, conflicted Christian characters I mean, the, at times. The, but I, but, but the, I never I never WB really standards. watched. It's like it was it was a very like like it was a teen soap, but it was a, it was a better it was a better than average teen soap. In, in terms of like, I think my favorite. Well, I'll talk about tribalism, but you know, someone who I think represents Christianity well on television regularly, um, and this isn't fictional, but but I do, I'm always intrigued. Is uh, is Colbert? Like, I love the way that he engages faith sure. conversations. Sure. Like, yep. it's not so much that like, oh, it's another one for our team. It's more of like, oh, he's someone that I feel like will graciously approach the topic of beliefs, faith, and religion with people from across the spectrum of worldviews in a way that I always find interesting. And I appreciate his perspective, um, but I also just appreciate the way that he's able to dialogue in a way that's so graceful because people know that he himself is very devout in his belief system. I always enjoy his conversations about faith, even though obviously he's a real, he's a real human, you know. Speaking of conversations about faith, <laughs> I there we go. This one, number one, Kim Kardashian West's next reality TV project is about justice reform. So it was announced that Kim Kardashian West, Kim, will be hosting a new documentary for the Oxygen Network called Kim Kardashian West: The Justice Project that looks at four different cases and her efforts to advocate for individuals behind bars. As the AP notes, the cases are complicated and include one involving a victim of sex trafficking, as well as one about a woman who is in prison after murdering a family member who had molested her. Uh, Kim told the outlet, once you hear the circumstances that led them to make those decisions, your heart would completely open up. I hope that this is a step to opening up people's hearts and minds, and then hopefully they can help with changing some actual laws that really do have to be changed. Criminal justice reform has become a passion of the reality TV mogul. Her advocacy on behalf of nonviolent drug offender Alice Marie Johnson led to the great-grandmother being granted clemency by President Trump. She's also pursuing a law degree. According to the AP, she just wrapped her first year as an apprentice. And if she passes a coming exam, will continue to be a law student in California for three years before taking the bar. Here is a clip from the trailer. There is a mass incarceration problem in the United States. 
life plus 25 years of first-time nonviolent offender. Seeing something that I felt was not fair. Kim went to war for me. I just said, you know, use me. I want to help her. I started to get letters hearing the circumstances of their lives. Beginning at the age of five, I was molested by my mom's husband. My mother murdered my father. The truth was much, much sadder. Sending a child to prison who had never had a chance. I don't know about you guys, but after some of the work that Kim has done over the last few years, I, I take back every mean thing I ever said about her. I think this is, I really do. I mean that sincerely. This is yeah. the How many best. mean things did you say? Yeah, <laughs> I, I did. I mean, it was Kim Kardashian. Everyone. We all said mean things about Kim Kardashian, but I, but I really do. And as her, as my opinions of her husband have gotten much more, let's say, complicated, my opinion of her, <laughs> my estimation of her has really, really grown because I really can't think of a better way to use your platform, which she has maybe one of the top three or four biggest of in the world to for, for, for more good than to advocate for not just individual people, but for actual systemic change of the, the laws themselves and doing the work of studying the, the actual laws behind this, not just giving this isn't just a Twitter hashtag. This is her really going to bat and, and trying to make sure that she's prepared to do this the right way. Couldn't be more impressed. I, dude, I agree, man. What a fantastic example. And I think at some point, like, let's, I'm going to do a hypothetical thing where we fast forward 50 years into the future, right? Mm-hmm. And Hollywood is casting a Kim Kardashian biopic. Uh-huh. And it's going to be like in the vein of some of these, like, those like great like Clint Eastwood biopics from a few years ago. <laughs> like, uh, 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 what was the one with, um, uh, the pilot, the aviator, and, and like she, I think she's going to be looked back at as this really interesting cultural figure who, you know, she was able to sort of um, personify a lot of larger things in culture and sometimes unfortunate and sometimes fortunate ways, right? Like, you know, she, her father obviously was a a lawyer in the OJ Simpson trial. Her, you know, she came to fame, um, you know, initially because of a leaked sex tape, Mm -hmm. a celebrity sex tape, you know, she became a reality TV mogul. She became an Instagram influencer. She married Kanye West, this, you know, prolific artist, you know, her life followed this really interesting trajectory that in a lot of ways was running parallel with a lot of larger conversations that were happening in pop culture. But for her to do this turn to say, okay, now that I've acquired all of these people's opinions about me, all of this wealth, all of this influence, I'm going to turn my attention to people who are essentially forgotten. You know, this, this woman, um, Alice Marie Johnson had been in prison and was going to be in prison for a long time. And when you read about uh, her drug offense, you know, she was basically sort of a scapegoat and was a victim of these antiquated drug laws. But Kim Kardashian took her platform as this really kind of controversial, interesting person that that is on the top of everyone's mind to to doing things that affect the lives of people that are forgotten and you know this woman who's a great grandmother is now out free and there might be other people who are soon going to be free from their unjust prison sentences because she decided to take the time and do something about it i think it's incredible i i I, I love the story. And like I said, I do think uh, I do think in the future, people are going to look back at her in a really interesting way. My, my thought, my thoughts. Exactly. She represented a turning point in a lot of big ways. Uh, not all of them positive for sure, but yeah. 
but uh, you could do a lot worse than using a platform that you've built. The, the, and it, you, you honestly couldn't do much better. Yeah. John Mark, do you have any uh, Kardashian opinions? Um, I mean, I, I think it's beautiful. I think her story arc is really interesting and it's unexpected and it's, it's super beautiful to see what she's doing. You know, like I, yeah, man, I don't have any amazing or controversial thoughts about it. I just think it's really, um, inspiring makes me want to do, you know, <laughs> it makes me want to live my life better. There's things I can do. It is. It is. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of sad where all three of us are like, man, Kim Kardashian's really challenging us to be she better. Really, because, she really uh, exactly. <laughs> she like figured it out. I remember thinking, <laughs> she cracked it. I remember thinking not long ago, I just wish I could wipe the Kardashian shadow from my yeah. newsfeed. Like, uh-huh. I don't care who's wearing what or where they went or yeah. what they said. Like, I literally don't care all of a sudden to being like, oh, okay, I actually kind of care now. You yeah. know? Because I just yeah. don't yeah. care who's the beautifulest but this doesn't i don't I like it's just wasting a lot of space in my news feed you know it's true I mean? like, it, it is true but it, man it also like i mean that not that we have to dig into this big kind of uh esoteric conversation but it also is like well is the trade-off did she have to create this platform and enable to 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 stand on it and use it for good like that's a whole nother conversation of like you know was ultimately she working for you know could you make a case that you know people that have these massive platforms that are then able to kind of turn and help people it's sort of um you, you know this like uh, working for this sort of greater good because if she didn't have the platform that she had she couldn't have the impact that she added so it is sort of like an interesting arc that i i feel like i i do feel like people underrate her greatly in in, in her ability as like just as a thoughtful person and and a celebrity and now an activist i, I think she's a super interesting person yeah. so cut it out i would love it if she passes the bar and she's a lawyer and she's Kim Kardashian oh, so. West ex- Esquire, <laughs> that would be pretty amazing. It's like, I imagine those legal skills come in handy when you're that famous too. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. oh yeah, exactly. You represent yourself. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That'll do it for this week's. It's the hardest, the hardest. It's sizzling. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Fernando Morales will join us. listening to cop car by mitski so fernanda morales is a filmmaker best known for movies including city of god the constant gardener and most recently the two popes which is on netflix and got nominated for three different oscars the film explores the complex real life relationship between pope francis and pope benedict in a period of transition 
for the Catholic Church. I recently got to speak to Fernando about this film and why its themes are so resonant for religious and non-religious audiences alike. This was a really great conversation. I'm a huge fan of his, not just the two popes, but City of God and Constant Gardener are, are both just such excellent movies and was really excited that they were willing to, he, he talked to us, he's a director who is from Brazil and um, had been evidently interested in the story for a long time, which is really what I wanted to know first is is why the, he has a lot of projects. What was it about this story now in, in 2019 at the time that uh, that really drew him to this this project? And uh, and he explained that it was really been building for quite a while. Yeah, I was invited actually in 2015. Uh, if, yeah, the, the producer Dan Lean asked me if I was interested making a film on the Pope. At that time, there was no script. He just wanted to, we would develop the script together. And I said, yes, because I, I like the Pope very much. I think he's a very important voice in the world today. I'm, I'm, I like his political agenda. I'm not religious, but I like, I think he's really very interesting, interesting positions about the, the world today. Anyway, I said, yes, I, I like him. Uh, let's explore it. But at the time, I was uh, starting to work on the opening of the Olympics in Rio, which I directed with two friends. So I couldn't say, well, I'll be busy till the end of 2016. So when, when the Olympics finished, he called me back and said, during this period, I found a play and I asked the writer to adapt his own play. And he sent me the script. And there was this surprise. I mean, I was thinking about a film on Pope Francis and... and there was uh, Pope Benedict came with like the package, you know. <laughs> and uh, but until until uh, four months ago, uh, the film was called The Pope, and it was really a film much more on Pope Francis. Then we watched it, and there was a sort of balance between both of them. So we changed the name to The Two Popes. So, so Fernando is not a religious person, as he stressed to me a number of times, but he was still very interested in this movie. And, and so I wanted to know what it was about the person of Pope Francis uh, that, that, that really drew him to this project and draws so many people, uh, Catholic and, and not Catholic and not even necessarily religious alike, what it is about Pope Francis's character that makes him such a compelling figure. And he had some very interesting uh, stories, including uh, an anecdote about the Pope that I had not heard. Well, he's, he's, he's very charming, personally. He has this warmth and a good sense of humor, which I learned. It's something new. I mean, he's not, he's not a, a, a friendly guy. I mean, he wasn't a friendly guy. Nobody likes him in Argentina. People who, who knew him before, everybody would say that he was very, yeah, he was very unpleasant. He would never, he was the man that would never smile. And, and very, yeah. Uh, we, we worked with, uh, with one of his ex-seminarists that uh, lived with, with him for eight years in, 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 the, in the seminar where he was the, the head called uh, Collegio Maximo. Well, actually, we shot there. When you see the scenes at, at the seminar, it's exactly where, where he, he, yeah, he worked. Anyway, the, this guy, Otavio, uh, said he couldn't be in front of him. He really, he said, he said this quote, I, I hated him. But uh, because he was so hard. And then on the day he became Pope, he said, I saw that man on the balcony saying, but I said, I with that smile. I said, I don't know this man. First time I see him smiling. And he said, it was a different man. What, what could have happened? And, and so I asked him, well, what, what happened? He said, well, I'm a faithful guy. I believe that in the moment when he was elected, the Holy Spirit changed him. <laughs> 
That's such an interesting <clears throat> story because I feel like Pope Francis is this figure who we all sort of have the, these ideas about, particularly when he took over from Benedict, who Benedict was looked at as a controversial figure, you know, very scholarly, mm-hmm. not the most compassionate and, uh, uh, you know, social Certainly yeah. not charismatic. And, and yeah, Fran- certainly, yeah, not, not a, not a and then Francis guy. comes along and seems like this, uh, you know, generational kind of religious figure who just has this kind of air about him that makes people feel very welcomed and received and loved. It's so crazy that that isn't how a lot of people who knew him identified his personality. His friends, yeah, even his good yeah. friends said they, they they called him the man who never smiled. You know, that's like so it's so funny and and it's it, it's a very interesting for just from a religious uh, a portrait of how God can move. Um, one thing I did that I found kind of interesting about this, and I think I've discussed this maybe even on this podcast before, is that the the, the hmm. two popes is a very funny movie. It, it's almost, it has kind of a buddy comedy flavor to it when you're watching it. And, and Fernando, you mentioned this when in my discussion with him, that the marketing was very conventional and makes it look much stuffier and more highbrow than it actually is. So I asked him about the humor and he said that when he first got the script, mm. it actually was quite dry. And he explained the process of of him really taking the reins to try to make it a little more comedic. Tyler, did you feel like that translated in the film? Did you feel like it has a pretty breezy because I've heard it. I've heard it compared to like a buddy comedy. I think I would call it a buddy comedy and uh, as much as like an Oscar bait type movie could be a buddy comedy. It's 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 surprisingly funny and a much easier more engaging watch than you would think even i love constant gardener and city of god but i wouldn't call either of them particularly funny uh this movie shows that that he really does have some uh some good comedic sensibilities to him it's it's quite funny jesse you had mentioned earlier that pope benedict while he was the pope was viewed as a much gruffer more austere person. And uh, I think that's quite true. And I I asked him about that because this movie doesn't really, it portrays him as being aware of that stereotype, but it also delivers a much more nuanced portrait of Pope Benedict than I think we're used to getting, or than we even got from the press during the time that he was Pope. And it was really interesting. Fernando said that when he approached this movie, he's to use his phrase, he saw uh, it being about Pope Francis as the good guy and Pope Benedict as the bad guy. But the more research they did, the more they realized that wasn't really a fair reading of what their actual relationship was actually like. And he explained why the movie went from being called mm. the Pope, which is what the original title was, to the two popes, which is what we ended up with. I read the script. It was very intelligent dialogue, but uh, at the same time, quite dry and, and, and very dense. So I thought uh, I would have to find a way to make the film, the conversation uh, watchable <laughs> or, or, or engaging. And, and what I thought was that um, the film should be very intimate and very personal. That would engage people. I remember watching The Queen, remember the film, Stephen Frears. I, I remember watching it and, and what I thought was fascinating was just seeing uh, the queen as a normal um, lady. You know, she wasn't. Sometimes you see you see the person behind uh, the crown. So I thought I would do the same thing. I, I wanted to make a film on two men who disagree on almost everything, and they have to find a common ground. And and also a film on a pope discussing with a cardinal. 
And and just changing this perspective, uh, the whole thing changes. The film is very intimate, very simple. Every all the, the solutions for the film are intentionally very simple. Looks like everyday life. The camera is very close to them, so you see the person. And anyway, that that was. Much. And well, you you mentioned the humor. And during the process of, of um, preparing the film, it took eight months before between having the script and and shooting the film. And in this period, I start uh, adding jokes and, and and changing some scenes and and trying to bring lightness to, to the story. That was Fernando Morales. Really did enjoy that conversation. Hope you get a chance to check out the two popes on Netflix before the Oscars. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break. Ride, ride, run the ride. Second Timothy 2.15, Paul was passing the baton of ministry to the next generation of church leaders, and he said, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. That's why 2.15 exists. 2.15 is a two-year ministry residency at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. It's designed for future leaders who are called to full-time vocational ministry and want to gain practical experience doing ministry in a strong church. We believe that the best way to get equipped for a lifetime of impactful ministry is by doing ministry firsthand in a healthy context, surrounded by people pouring into you, helping you develop, and investing in your spiritual health. If you feel called to ministry and are looking for your next step, we are now accepting applications for our next class of residents. Connect with us and apply at southeastchristian.org residency. Again, that's southeastchristian.org residency. You're listening to Rumbling by Black Lips. Well, hey, this was this was super fun. Uh, you know, Jesse, we had uh, <laughs> we had we had a break in a case that we've been teasing. That's right. We, we, we can't get into it right now. We don't have time. We, we, we can't. We so John Mark last week on the show. The like, I don't know if you saw like Kevin Max challenge people to submit who would who would who would his twitter followers cast in a biopic about the dc talk store so we had some fun with that we talked about it a worthy question that we can fill hours of time podcasting about but we ask users to cast their own ccn movies and we read them it was a whole fun thing but in one of the responses the there was a passing reference to sandy patty and out of nowhere uh, a Twitter account of the Indiana Pizza Club jumped into the mentions and at, it, like unsolicited and simply accused Sandy Patty of destroying the economy of the town of Indiana, of Anderson, Indiana, with no explanation of how so she did such a thing. That, that's not an explanation. That is an exact quote. Sandy Patty that, that destroyed is. the economy of Anderson, Indiana. Full and tweet. then they were out. And Full I was like, tweet. who is this Indiana Pizza Club? And it, John Mark, it is a it is a. Pizza Club in the Indiana. The, the only thing they talk about uh, is Sandy Patty's economic destruction of this town and pizza in, in the state of Indiana. <laughs> so we started driving. We started diving down this rabbit hole. They also somehow think she's connected to the to the JFK assassination. Right, yes. I believe oh, yeah. that's correct. They, 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 they go deep. But wow. and this is a pizza club with a lot of people talking about pizza. It's very odd that they've jumped into this. So we Tyler and I, we talked to an Anderson local who not only dated Sandy Patty's nephew and gave us some insight, but also <laughs> 
lived directly above the mayor's son in India, Anderson, Indiana. You can't get closer to the to the center of the core of this mystery than Tyler and I've gotten. But here's the thing: we're running long today. We, st- uh, uh, you know, it's it's been a long show, so we're going to bring you the update in our Indiana Pizza Club investigation next and week. And we will be pursuing this potentially in a channel. We might need you to put a jingle together because this could become a regular <laughs> this, this rabbit hole. I, what kind of vibe are I, we thinking, though? That's the like, question. Like a true crime. Well, okay. I've been on the phone. I've been trying to get up with our friends over at Serial for a new season. And <laughs> it has whole, been silent. season on this. Yeah. Right. I think yeah. we could do I think we could do it. Jesse had the idea of calling it Patty Gate. I like it. I think that works. <laughs> I was going to go Pizza Gate. Really like at first, it was Pizza, pizza Gate. But then I got taken. Patty Gate. Because we do have. Because we do have. And Jesse, I've even had some more breaks since last night in my investigation. I, I, will say, I, I will say this. Who else jumped in? The, Beth Moore jumped in the mentions Beth, last night Beth with Moore her own is on thoughts. the beat. This, the, the rabbit hole is just getting deeper, but we're going to bring this whole thing next week. Yeah. We don't have... Yeah. We, we, it it, it right should up. be a special episode, really. It's not really a Friday material either. This is crime. This is, this is <laughs> stakes. This is economic depression. That's not the vibe this of this is, show. The, the death of a Midwestern <laughs> town, the, the CCM star, a, a, a mysterious pizza club this is not stuff that you just absorb over the weekend yeah. this is you, you need a whole week to let this settle yeah. in so we'll, so we'll go back so we'll, we'll we will we will come back to that with our special guest our insider our, our boots on the ground there in anderson indiana we'll, we'll bring that she lived above week. the son of the mayor people she knows what's happening she heard things through the walls okay <laughs> she dated sandy patty's nephew briefly and they are on good terms so that's those are things that we know she DM'd uh, me fresh information this very morning, but I'm not going to. I'm, I'm sitting on our wow. sitting to this. I'm yeah. On it. Yeah. I'm We're sitting, sitting okay. on it. So, so we will wrap it up. Hey, many thanks to Fernando Morales. The Two Popes is on Netflix now. If you're, if you're a completionist like I am, you like to see all the Oscar noms before the actual ceremony, you can knock this one out over the weekend. It's on Netflix. It's a great movie. Uh, I, I encourage, I think anybody listening to this show, anybody a part of this show would really enjoy that movie. Also, we got to say thanks to our friend John Mark. John Mark, man, it's always so fun to have you on. You, you, you're a fish to water on this podcast. You bring the, you bring the heat every time. You bring uh, the heat. I do my best. I do my best. Thank you, guys. Good luck with, yeah, the, with the album rollout and get ready for the tour, man. I hope that I know it's going to be kind of a stressful time, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. John, John Mark, real quick, what's the best way? Should people follow you on Instagram, Twitter? What's the best way to get updates about the tour and uh, new stuff with the album? I am the most active on Instagram, but okay. the email list is the best. So, all right, people miss stuff on Instagram if you haven't realized. Yeah, oh Instagram yeah, Instagram doesn't that, show you everything. Tr- but I don't I'm trust most that active. algorithm. I don't think I'm yeah. aware of that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you will never miss anything if everything. you sign up for the email list. In fact, you can go right now, and if you sign up uh, right now, I will send you the album for free on Valentine's wow. Day, and I'll send you a brand new track right now for free if you go to my website it's easy to do you won't even need to get the heart-shaped candy box. You got a new album. Uh, no. exactly. You got it covered. That's you good. got it covered. <laughs> yeah. Giving the album away for free. Because I love it. That's awesome, man. Love it. All right. All right. Well, you heard it. All right. Uh, well, I think with that, we are going to wrap it up. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Jay Lestrade. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm John Mark. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll see you next week. Oh
thank you for listening to The Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from The Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. She dated Sandy Patty's nephew briefly, and they are on good terms. Relevant Podcast Network. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.